Truth Espresso, episode 171. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, Daniel Minnick, your host for Truth Espresso, and I am recording this episode as I am pulling out of my driveway, um, headed to work, because this is an episode of Truth Espresso Express. And for this episode of Truth Espresso Express, I thought I would talk a little bit about the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now, why would I do that? Well, Truth Espresso is a member podcast of the Christian Podcast Community, and you can go there at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And the Christian Podcast Community is uh, managed in part by Andrew Rappaport, who hosts several podcasts there. You can check out The Rap Report by Andrew Rappaport. He also co-hosts Apologetics Live and yours truly has made an appearance on each of those in the past. But I highly encourage you to check out Christian Podcast Community and check out Andrew Rappaport's podcast and all the other good podcasts there besides Truth Espresso because, you know, I'm sure you'll find lots of good stuff there. I know Truth Espresso is just awesome, but... Christian Podcast Community has a lot more to offer than Truth Espresso. <laughs> and so, now, why do I want to chat a little bit about transubstantiation? Because one of the podcasts on the Christian Podcast Community is called Theology Throwdown, and this podcast is generally once a month in which members of the Christian Podcast Community will gather into one room, well, like one virtual room <laughs> and record a show uh, talking about a topic um, and seeing where they agree and where they may, may differ. And this is uh, usually done on a Monday evening and sometimes it's kind of hit and miss with me if I can attend uh, because Mondays are one of the days in which I drive into the office. Um, uh, as a software developer and I could not make this one and the last one that was released this last Monday was about the Lord's Supper and now that's one of the that's an intriguing topic that I've had some discussions with people especially online over and I've especially engaged Roman Catholics over the issue and so I've talked about I have argued over transubstantiation a lot with Roman Catholics. And I listened to the episode of the Theology Throwdown on the Lord's Supper, and it was a topic that was brought up. Not that any of the members believed in transubstantiation, but so I would like to just talk about it, discuss it a little bit further, and to give some arguments uh, from my side as a Baptist for why I don't hold to transubstantiation, what I believe are the flaws in it. 
So transubstantiation is a Roman Catholic doctrine that teaches that the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper uh, communion literally in some form become the body and blood of Jesus and that this happens when the priest consecrates this host. So when the priest repeats the words of Jesus or in some way says that it's the body and blood of Jesus, then Christ is essentially commanded from heaven and these elements, though they may appear, feel, taste, all our senses say that they remain bread and wine, they in some literally, literal sense become the actual body and blood of Christ. Now, this is not to be confused with the early church doctrine of what has been called the real presence. So, yes, in the early church, uh, the early church fathers would promote an idea that we would sum up or call the real presence of Christ. And sure, uh, someone can hold to that, even... Even a reformed person could hold to um, some form of real presence. Now, real presence does not mean that, therefore, the body and blood of Christ is there. You can hold to a form of real presence and say that, well, given the omnipresence of Christ, that Christ is incarnate, and that in heaven, Christ is watching over, just as Christ says uh, that he will be with his disciples until the end of the age, and that even the Old Testament, Testament says the Lord Yahweh is with those that are of a humble and contrite heart, that therefore um, when you partake of the command of Christ that represents his body and blood, he is present in a meaningful way, in a spiritual sense, in the, in the sense of his uh, divinity there but not contained. So, yeah, like you can say that he is there, and I would argue, if I were to give this more detail, that the, um, especially the earliest fathers who'd say things that the Catholics would use uh, to promote, well, of course, real presence, but then to try to argue that this proves transubstantiation, that they're arguing against Gnostics who denied that Jesus had a human body and blood. And so, when it came to communion, some of the Gnostics would abstain you know, from doing it because they refused to accept that Jesus had an actual body that actually died. And so, while this would commemorate it in a way that was meaningful, they would deny that. And so you had an early church father who would say, you know, they, referring to the Gnostics, abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they deny that it is the body and blood of Christ. And the Catholics would say, see, even the earliest of fathers say that it's the body and blood of Christ. Well, they didn't say anything about how it was transubstantiate or whatever that you could understand that given the Gnostics they are arguing against that, you know, they're arguing that it's the body and blood of Christ because it's representing the body and blood of Christ, which the Gnostics deny that he had a, a human body and blood. And so, yeah, that's the arguments that's being made. It's against uh, Gnostics. So Roman Catholics teach transubstantiation. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox deny it, but they still hold to a mysterious idea that it literally is the body and blood of Christ, and that's where you stop. You just say that that's what it is. There's no real 
I mean, I could, I would have to ask the Orthodox, but there's no like real consecration in it that transforms it. It's just when we observe it and partake, it literally is in a mysterious sense, and you don't explain it, you just accept it. And, you know, several high church Protestants might also believe in a form of real presence in a, in a literal, uh, in a physical sense, but they deny transubstantiation. But So transubstantiation is specifically what I want to talk about. So where do we get transubstantiation from? Where do the, Ar- the Roman Catholics argue this from Scripture? Well, they'll go to... Especially in the Gospels, the Last Supper, where Jesus says, This is my body and this is my blood. And they think that it's obvious from reading the text that this somehow means that if you read it, you would understand that it means this this here, these elements literally are my body and literally are my blood. And... I would think, given all the statements of Jesus, the metaphorical statements of Jesus, like, I am the door, I am the true vine, this is Elijah, which is to come, that it wasn't saying that, you know, Elijah transubstantiated, but Roman Catholics or those who believe in, you know, in a strong literal physical sense of real presence would argue that you know the statements this is my body and this is my blood communicate the literal physicalness of Jesus into those elements so part of the context of in John 6 it says that the feast of the Passover was near and so that provides a little bit of context that the Roman Catholics might argue that say see then when Jesus is talking to the people after crossing the sea that my body is real food and my blood is real drink that therefore when he says you have to eat and drink of me that it means you have to eat and drink of me by eating and drinking of things that are transformed into me you have to eat and drink me physically and literally to have life in you now I want to bring up some issues with this so first of all the context is that Jesus uh, did the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and of course the Roman Catholics want to say that see just as Jesus did that miracle where he divided and multiplied the loaves and fishes Um, He divides and multiplies his physical body in communion. But now, okay, so the people got confused by Jesus' words and offended, you know, uh, both Roman Catholics and those who deny uh, transubstantiation agree that the people got offended by Jesus' words about eating and drinking him. But the difference is in, in what way were they offended? Why were they offended? Well, remember, with the miracle, the people ate and were filled. That's what Jesus says. You came here not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate and were filled. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you're not coming here because the miracles testify for who I am, and you care about who I am. You came here because of what you got out of the miracles. So it's not like, Jesus, we see that these miracles testify that you are, you know, the Messiah, God in the flesh, and we want to worship for you for who you are. Now tell us, what should we do? They came because, hey, you if you did that with loaves and fishes, keep feeding us. 
they it says that they wanted to force him take him by force and make him a king and not for them to submit to him but you know if they if they're the ones who crown him that Jesus will give them the high life and always feed them and they won't have to work for it so yeah that's all they had in mind was free food physical food and what did they bring up they brought up Moses gave us manna in the wilderness so it's kind of like hey God gave physical food from heaven through Moses that, you know, we didn't have to dig it up. We didn't have to slaughter it, whatever. It rained from heaven. It was free food for us to gather and eat. And so if Moses did that, look, Jesus, that's kind of like what you did with the loaves and fishes. So if you could do that, give us food, physical food. Hey, we got something good here. But Jesus says, you know, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life that the Son of Man will give you. And the people, you know, all they had in mind was physical food. Like, well then, okay, we're not intending to labor for it. Just give us this food. We don't have to labor for it. You know, Jesus, we're ready. Just give it to us. And they had physical food and nourishment in mind. But Jesus, I would contend that Jesus was not literally talking about food that they literally eat through their mouth. Because Jesus says at the beginning of the discourse, he says, He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And he ends the discourse by saying that the flesh, you know, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. He emphasized coming and believing in that discourse. Yes, he talked about eating of himself and drinking of himself. But do we have other passages of Scripture that can help us to understand that? Like, So why are we to take that in some literal sense that requires some miracle of transubstantiation? Because Jesus says, do the works of God. And then they ask, well, what, what is it? How, what do we do that we do the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God that you believe on him who we have sent. So the emphasis in all this is believing on him. You must internalize him because of who he is. It's all about who he is and what he will do. And they must internalize that because of who he is and what he does that is unique. So was Jesus talking about literally eating and drinking him? Or were those metaphors for coming to him and believing on him? So this is John 6 that we're talking about. So let's go back two chapters and remember John chapter 4, Jesus said he must go through Samaria. He talks with the Samaritan woman and she's drawing water out of the well. And so given that, given that context, he then says that someone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But if anyone who drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. And sure, the Samaritan woman at first was confused about like, okay, well then, how can that be? And can you give me that water? And, you know, Jesus doesn't take water out of Jacob's well and transubstantiate it so that when she drinks it, then she's drinking of him in some way, in some literal, mysterious sense. No, he then teaches her about eternal life. 
And then it says that eventually she believed and she taught people in the town and they came to him and believed. And she said, the, you know, isn't this the, the Christ, basically? But there was no transubstantiation there. She did receive that living water that he could give her that she could drink and never thirst again. How did she receive it? By believing in who he was. And now let's do some more context in John chapter 7, which is the chapter after John chapter 6. In John chapter 7, this is the chapter, okay, the chapter after the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6. We see another statement that Jesus says. Now, the context of John chapter 6 was that the Passover, the feast of Passover was near. And so Jesus frequently takes contexts that are on people's minds or that people would see and he makes spiritual lessons out of them that have to do with his identity. Just like when the disciples, Jesus and his disciples were by a vine, vineyard, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He uses that as an illustration. So chapter 7, the context is the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus mentions coming to him to drink. You remember, John chapter 6, Jesus says, He that cometh to me will never hunger. He that believeth in me will never thirst. Well, the, Jesus uses similar words in John 7 uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says that one who comes to him to drink is one who believes in him. One who does that, one who believes in him, one who comes to him to drink, one who believes in him, will out of his belly will flow rivers of living waters. So that's obviously a metaphor. And, you know, he says if someone drink comes to him and drinks of him and believes in him, he will get living waters flowing out of his belly. And, of course, this is referring to the permanency, the eternal life, uh, internalizing Jesus by believing who he is. And so why can't Jesus' statements in John 6 about eating his flesh and drinking his blood also be mem metaphors of the same kind for the same lesson for coming to him and believing him? The discourse of John 6, the bread of life discourse, clearly makes that connection. And Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman in John 4 and Jesus' words to the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7 clearly metaphors about drinking from what he gives or who he or what he is why not understand that for John 6 now another thing about John 6 remember this was uh, the context was that the Passover was near so this was a year before the Last Supper where Jesus would have with his disciples and he would say those words this is my body and this is my blood so in John 6 the setting is the Feast of Passover, a year before the first Eucharist, the, a year before the first, before the Lord's Supper, a year before he would actually communicate his body, allegedly, literally, in the elements. So he's telling these Jews who crossed the river to him, and he's telling them that if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But according to Roman Catholic understanding of this, this is done by literally eating and drinking bread and wine in observance of the Eucharist, 
which admittedly would not happen, the real one, for another year. So why would Jesus be telling these people, you have no life in you unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, but guess what? That won't happen for another year. So you cannot have life in you for another whole year, but this is something you must do. So I would say, yeah, if that were the case, no wonder the people would be offended by something he's telling them they must do, but they can't do at that moment. Now, of course, the Roman Catholic might say, well, yeah, sure, they just, they just got to stick with him, and eventually they'll get to do that with him, but having life in them, as of the moment, as of the fact that they were still under the Old Covenant, meant that they could, you know, have life in them as long as they're embracing Messiah, and then he would give them the way that they maintain that, that they communicate to them in the New Covenant via the bread and wine. But that still wouldn't make sense to them. I don't believe that would work very well. And also keep in mind that the Last Supper, only Jesus and his 12 disciples were there. So it wasn't a public event. So when he communicated his body for the first time in the auspices of the New Covenant, before he was actually crucified, no, you know, keep in mind, only his 12 disciples were there. So why, if this was necessary to do that, as far as eat, literally eating and drinking him to have life in you, that only his 12 disciples were there, why didn't he invite Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, you know, all of the believers that he encountered that he made uh, during his ministry, why didn't he celebrate this passion? Passover in a more public setting where vital nourishment could happen, where people could eat and drink of him and get eternal life, have life in them. So I just parked at work now, and so I will continue this. I will try to continue this on my drive home, and so stay tuned. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ, truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org christianpodcastcommunity.org One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. Well, hey there, this is Daniel Minnick, your host for Truth Espresso, and I am going to continue um, our little chat about the Lord's Supper and, in particular, the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. So if you remember from the last part, just to summarize, we talked about what is transubstantiation. It's the idea that when Christians partake of communion, and in the Roman Catholic case, it's only those who are in 
who are recognized as being in communion with the Roman Catholic Church, that they only they have a valid Eucharist, that when they partake, when they t- eat the bread and they drink the wine that a priest consecrates, that they are somehow, some way, in a literal sense, but not in any way detected by the human senses, literally eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus who ascended to heaven in a glorified body, and that every Roman Catholic church that performs this sacrament every day uh, anywhere around the world at the same time, that that all of that is the multiplied, mysteriously multiplied, literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we talked about some of the passages. In particular, uh, John 6 is a big passage for Roman Catholics to argue this position because Jesus told the Jews who crossed the sea to meet him after he performed the miracle of multiplying the loaves and fishes that they wanted him to feed them and Jesus told them you have to eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood and that if you don't eat his flesh and drink his blood you have no life in you or you have no part with him and so Roman Catholics take that as Jesus talking about the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or communion and we talked about some of the problems with that in particular the bookends of the discourse there what's commonly called the bread of life discourse that Jesus starts and ends with talking about coming to him, believing him, um, that coming to him and believing in him is equated with eating and drinking of him. And Roman Catholics will dispute that there's nothing in the passage that in any way directly ties the coming to him and believing in him with eating him and drinking him. And that you can't reduce those statements to being metaphors, that the eating and drinking of him is a metaphor with coming and believing. That basically it's all required. Coming to him, believing in him, and also eating and drinking of him to get life. And that this is done through the Lord's Supper, communion, or as they uh, like to refer to it as the Eucharist, or the giving of thanks. And we talked about how the language is made more clear that Jesus is in fact equating the eating and drinking of him with coming and believing by going to John 4, the language where he tells the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well that he could give her living water that if she drinks, she will never thirst again. And also in John chapter 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus shouts out, you know, if someone comes to me and drinks of me, if they believe in me, they in their belly will flow rivers of living water. And so the fact that Jesus uses eating and drinking as metaphors for believing is clear throughout the Gospel of John. And so there's no reason to believe in some kind of transubstantiation language in John 6 if you can't really use it in John 4 and in John 7. 
So now we move on to the disputed language in the Lord's Supper. So particularly when Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks and he tells his disciples, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. And the Roman Catholics understand this, that when Jesus says, this is my body, that somehow those words consecrated the bread such that now, in a mysterious sense of transformation that they call transubstantiation, that now the bread is literally his body. But of course, you don't see it transform, you don't touch it, and it doesn't feel like his body, doesn't taste like his body, it doesn't digest like his body, but it is his body in a way that you can't explain except to uh, try to use Aristotelian categories of accidents and substance so that something can be something else while retaining the form, the properties of its original substance. <laughs> but, okay, so let's get into this. So, we have the statements, this is my body, referring to the bread, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, when referring to the cup with the juice or the wine. So, three problems I observe with this as referring to transubstantiation. First of all, let's ask the question, when Jesus said, this is my body, did he use any language that would make us to understand it as saying, this is now my body, or this has become my body? And I think that's a valid point, because for transubstantiation to work, this is my body almost has to carry out with it an imperative or, you know, okay, it wasn't my body, but then when did it become my body? Because Roman Catholics, as you know, when I've argued with them in online forums, social media, over these statements, because they act like we have to make special pleading when we don't take these words as supposedly literal. Okay, well then, why doesn't Jesus say, this is now my body, or as I speak these words, this is now my body. So if we're going to take this literally, why doesn't he say, this is now my body, or this has now be, this has become my body? There's nothing there to say that with those words, it has now become his body. He says, this is my body, just like I am the true vine, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, or even... You know, more uh, comparatively, when he says, you know, if you will, if you will accept it, referring to John the Baptist, this is Elijah, which is to come. You know, because the Old Testament clearly said that I will send to you Elijah the prophet. And yet, he even says in, the, in John that some people said this is Elijah, or one of the prophets, and so on. But Jesus says, if you will accept it, this is Elijah, which is to come. And yet, do the Roman Catholics think that John the Baptist then, with those words, transubstantiated, into Elijah. It's a similar statement. This is Elijah. And yet they would understand with us that Jesus was saying, well, 
something about John the Baptist that represents or reflects or symbolizes or has, you know, acts in the same spirit as Elijah, you know, something similar to or representative of Elijah and that that's actually the fulfillment of the prophecy. So why not when Jesus says, this is my body, that it represents, is similar to, reflects, pictures, and so on like that, just like with his other metaphors. So where is it obvious in the text that Jesus' words are consecrating the bread and wine such that when he says those words, this is my body, it's kind of a, you know, in some ways an incantation that then something supernatural happens. How is that a literal understanding of the text? Uh, Just as Jesus makes lessons of his environment or explains what they symbolize, you know, just like when he's by a vine, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus explains what this symbolizes. He's explaining that the bread and wine, as they reflect the original Passover, so they were also designed to picture and look forward to the crucifixion of himself. And so when he says, this is my body, he's telling them what you have been celebrating in the Passover has been designed all along to point to what I am going to do as the the Lamb of God. Remember, as as John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That didn't mean that Jesus transubstantiated into a lamb, but that the lambs themselves, the, the original Passover lamb, and the lambs that they've been Uh, taking in Passover the lambs that they've been sacrificing for sin offerings, Jesus is the final fulfillment of that. They picture him. And, And so in like manner, this is my body referring to bread that he's breaking. He's making a picture and teaching that this feast that you've been observing, the suppers, remember the Passover was a week of of meals, basically. So as they were having supper during the week of Passover there, this bread here that you eat for Passover points to what I'm going to do. And so when he says, do this in remembrance of me, then it means when you celebrate Passover after this point, remember that. Recognize that what you're doing You do it in light of me because that's what it's been all about in the first place. Now you recognize it in the new covenant. And so there's nothing in the words, this is my body, that would be literal, literally taking, literally taken to mean this is now my body, this has become, this is transformed into my body. That is hardly literal. Now, the second point I want to make about the words, this is my body, or this is the, the 
this cup is the new covenant in my blood, is that the setting when Jesus actually uttered those words was when he was alive before the crucifixion celebrating the supper with his disciples. So it's kind of strange that Jesus would then uh, transform the elements, the bread and the wine, into his crucified body and blood before his crucifixion. Now, I know the Roman Catholics would tell us, well, it's mysterious, it's a miracle, that what, you think God, do you think Jesus, the God-man, can't perform a miracle? He could divide the loaves and the fishes, he could raise someone from the dead, but he can't transform bread and wine into his crucified self before he's crucified? What? Can't God do anything? Can't God do that? Uh, Of course I believe that God could do that. The question is, is that what he did? The question is, is that what his words mean? Is that what he meant? And the question is, would reading those words literally require us to believe that? There's nothing in the text that would make us think that Jesus saying, by breaking bread and saying, this is my body, that literally taking that somehow requires to understand that Jesus is actually offering his disciples a mysterious literal sense of his substance of his crucified body before he's actually crucified. That is not taking the text literally. Another issue, my third point, is that the scriptures are clear that the bread and wine remained bread and wine. So how do we know this? Because Jesus said in the Gospels, after he ate with them and drank with them, he said, I will not henceforth drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in the kingdom. So wait, yeah, that's that poses another problem there. Wait, Jesus drinks it with his disciples? So Jesus eats and drinks his own body and his own blood? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That is absurd. But yet, wait, what did Jesus call the wine that he would drink with them in the kingdom. What did he say? I will no longer drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in the kingdom. So not only would Jesus be saying that he drinks you know, his own blood with them, that he drinks his own blood, but he refers to it as the fruit of the vine. So if it's transubstantiated into blood, then why would Jesus refer to it as the fruit of the vine? Now, we also look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When Paul is talking about the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the communion, and he uh, reiterates what Jesus told his disciples. You know, when he said that Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
this do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. He says to do it in remembrance of him. He doesn't say to do it, you know, in the eating of him or whatever. If it's done in remembrance of, how do you remember him? You remember him because, you know, he's going to be betrayed. He, remember, he also earlier told them, in John 16, that he would go away. And if he goes not away, the, the Holy Spirit would not come to them. So, you know, the Last Supper, he's also, you know, kind of giving his farewell message. I'm going to be taken to the authorities. They're going to put me to death. I'm going to rise from the dead the third day. And then ultimately, he's going to go away. He's going to go to the Father. He's going to return to the Father. So do this in the new covenant, do this in remembrance of me because I am not going to be physically present with you on earth. But let's get back to the point. What did the bread, did the bread remain bread after he said, this is my, take, eat, this is my body? Well, the apostle Paul seemed to think so. So the apostle Paul, after describing the Lord's Supper, and he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord, you show the not you appropriate the Lord's death. You show the Lord's death until he come. See, there's, you know, not only is he saying that it's literally still bread, but he's saying that you show the Lord's death until he come, until he come, not that you bring him to earth when you consecrate this host, but you show his death until he comes. And the apostle Paul also says, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord, you know, unworthily was, it will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, of course, the Roman Catholics will cling to that and say, well, how could he be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord if you're not actually eating and drinking the body and blood of the Lord? Well, you know, God is jealous of his types, you know, just like the, the Ark of the Covenant housed, you know, him. And if anyone touched the Ark, you know, had to be carried a certain way because, you know, had the stone tablets and uh, God judged Moses for striking the rock and not speaking to it because, you know, you could say that there's the type there. You strike the rock to represent the crucifixion. You speak to the rock in prayer, just as Jesus says in John 14, 14, that if any, if you ask of me anything in my will, I will hear it. And so, yeah, God is jealous of his types and you're guilty of things because God is jealous of his types. You do not violate, you do not treat God's commandments, his ordinances that uh, typify him unworthily because he holds them in jealousy of what they represent. So you can be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord by partaking of the types in an unworthy manner. Now also, okay, continuing on, remember oh, the Apostle Paul talks about examining himself. So if a man, so let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So wait, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. But yet the Apostle Paul refers to what we eat as bread and he says that over and over again so yes Jesus said this is my body because of what it represents 
he says that we do we show the Lord's death until he come he's not with us now bodily because he's bodily in heaven resurrected as Hebrews says repeatedly he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high he's in heaven at the right hand of the father you know he makes the you know the God the Father makes the earth his foot a footstool to his feet for his feet. He will reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. The last enemy sh- that shall be destroyed is death. You know he will come again. He will set up the kingdom on earth, the eternal kingdom. He will reign on earth in the new earth. But until then, he is bodily in heaven. We should not be discomforted that he goes away to the Father because he sends the Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit because he is another comforter in Jesus' place as he goes to heaven uh, before the Father. And the Holy Spirit is another comforter who does the ministry of pointing people to Christ, regenerating the heart, and so on. So eschatology is involved in all this with transubstantiation. But it's it's bread when it's given. It's bread when you eat it. <laughs> it shows the Lord's death until he come. It's done in remembrance of him. The wine is the fruit of the vine, which Jesus will drink anew again with us, you know, when he comes in his kingdom. And why would Jesus eat and drink himself? And Paul says that, you know, that it's bread when you eat it. So, as far as the Roman Catholics, I've heard them argue like, Oh, well, you Protestant or you Baptists and so on, you want to take the, the words to say, This represents my body or this is a symbol of my body. When it says, this is my body, well, they, you know, they simply cannot accept the metaphor there. And it's perfectly literal to accept it as a metaphor. That is very literal. I would say it is the literal understanding of that text. So now, to close out this episode, which position takes the text literally? A simple metaphor that is very common with Jesus in his teachings and in his miracles to teach something about himself or a supposed literal statement that expects us to think through Aristotelian categories of accidents and substances and read into it a a consecration incantation of sorts and to uh, have us wonder like how is it you know retain uh, properties of bread and somehow become his body and so on i would leave that up to you and so stay tuned for more episodes of truth espresso and truth espresso express because i like to talk more about transubstantiation and more about the lord's supper thank you for waking up with truth espresso Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.